UVA continues to roll. It's back in the top 10 and atop the ACC basketball standings. Virginia Tech loses one of its top players going into Saturday's matchup between the rivals. And will there be an ACC basketball tournament this year? Does it make sense? All that and more this week on Teal and Bark. Welcome in to episode 38 of Teal and Barber, the Richmond Times-Dispatch and Richmond.com's ACC, UVA, and Virginia Tech sports podcast. I'm Mike Barber, ACC beat writer for the paper, and joining me here as always, my co-host, the 13-time sports writer of the year and the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, David Teal. David, how are you, sir? Good afternoon, Mike. I'm well, and hope you and yours are doing the same, man. We are. We have uh, a landscaping company out trying to figure out what it would cost to give us a flat backyard. We have a very sloped backyard, and uh, as the baby gets older and kiddo, it would be nice for them to be able to play ball in the backyard. So that's been the project of the morning here. Wow, that's uh, ambitious to say the least. It is. I'll be uh, setting up a a GoFundMe or something. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to pay for this project, but I do think that it would be, uh, you know, I, I grew up um, on a cul-de-sac, so we had a big circle, and all the neighborhood kids went out, and we played kickball or wiffle ball or rode our big wheels and then bicycles around, and uh, it's the only thing missing right now at uh, Casa del Barber is a, is a nice flat play space, so we're trying to figure out how to engineer that within a, the confines of a budget, of course. Absolutely. Now, how was your how was your trip home? Because last night we covered uh, the Big Monday UVA Syracuse uh, game in in Charlottesville, and and when I left, I was a little surprised to find uh, some ice, some snow, uh, and I thought about you, sir, who obviously had a much longer drive. How how was that commute? It was fine. My my rental pickup truck did <laughs> did, did did quite well on the interstate. There were very few cars out little satellite radio with some tunes and some Texas Tech West Virginia basketball, and I was home before I knew it. That sounds perfect. Now, we're going to talk about the game we were covering, but before we get to that, uh, last night being at JPJ, we also had the chance to kind of pay a little tribute uh, to another member of of the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame, another multiple winner of that Sports Writer uh, of the Year Award, like yourself, and and an all-around great guy also like yourself, uh, <laughs> Doug Dowdy of the Roanoke Times, retiring at the end of the month. And uh, Monday night's UVA Cuse game was Doug's last one covering at his alma mater. So uh, when you think about Doug and, and what he's done in, in his very lengthy career there at, at Roanoke, what jumps out to you? Number one, Mike, is is the length, the, the longevity of more than 40 years at, at one publication and essentially covering UVA throughout, that's remarkable in, in so many regards. And I've known Doug for almost all that time. And I, I was thinking about him last night and on the drive home. In, in many ways, he reminds me of our mutual friend and the Times-Dispatch legend, Paul Woody, in that Doug takes the job but not himself <laughs> seriously, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, perfectly. And I think that's Woody too. And, and they do it in different ways. Paul is far more dry than Doug <laughs> and a little more subtle and a little quieter. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. 
But th- th- that's what I've always appreciated about Doug. He he was the consummate professional, but he he has this goofy side, and he doesn't mind poking fun not only at us but himself. Yeah, well said. And I thought it was, you know, it was interesting or appropriate, certainly, you know, Coach Coach K on the ACC call mm-hmm. made a point of of uh, recognizing Doug and, and his contributions and, and his work. And um, Tony Bennett kind of started at the beginning of, of his presser before he took questions. Um, they gave Doug the, the first question. But before he did, Tony kind of talked about uh, Doug's legacy and everything he's done. And Doug, in, in very professional fashion, didn't even say thank you or, right. or, or have any conversation he launched right into his question when it was his turn which i know coach bennett kind of called out for there there's doug always being a professional and getting right down to work but you're right he's just a, a fun guy to be around and i'll tell you um as a younger guy, not that I'm all that young, but uh, when I came to Virginia and I got the job in, in Harrisonburg, I remember my editor there talking about Doug as this pioneer on the recruiting front. Yes. Right? Because Rivals is huge and 247 is huge. None of that used to be around. And Doug, long, long before anybody else was doing it as this major industry, Doug was putting together uh, these recruiting rankings and these recruiting profiles. And um, that's something he kept up with, you know, going to Friday night high school games, uh, even after, you know, the the world of sports journalism, you kind of focus, you're either a college guy or a high school guy. And there was Doug on Friday nights, still covering high school games in part because he loves it. And in part, because it kept him in tune with the prospects and the recruits. And, um, I think maybe for a younger generation, that's a little bit lost, but he really was a pioneer in that regard. He absolutely was. And it was always fascinating to me when I first came to, to Virginia to work. I'd, I'd gone to school here at, at James Madison, but when I came professionally in 1984 and was on the Virginia beat pretty quickly, to, just to watch Doug report about recruiting and visits. And I thought, I thought to myself, are, are readers really interested in this? And it turns out they <laughs> were. They couldn't get enough of it. And Doug would spend all day on the phone with high school. You know, this you, you couldn't text people or right. email them. You know, back then, I mean, you had to get them on the physical phone, <laughs> dial the number, hope they were in the office. And Doug was just relentless and, and kind of out there, as you said, as a pioneer, no one else was doing it. And the, the coaches appreciated it. The prospects appreciated it. And he really did turn it into s- sort of a, a cottage industry. Absolutely. And just a, ahead of his time in that regard, and probably a lot of regards, and uh, definitely fitting that UVA recognized him on the big yeah. video board. You know, we don't have the capacity crowd at JPJ to give him the, the ovation that he is deserving, but those of us in attendance uh, certainly stood and clapped. And, uh, you know, Doug's been kind of inspiration to read and just a ton of fun, as you mentioned, just a, a ton of fun to work with, to be around. And uh, he's going to be missed on this beat. He absolutely will. And, and Mike, just to give you a sense of how well regarded Doug is universally. I mean, you mentioned Coach K earlier shouting out Doug on the ACC Zoom yesterday. But my understanding is because his last event on the job for Roanoke will be Saturday night at Castle, where we'll all be for Virginia, Virginia Tech, that 
Mike Young wants to have a little pregame popcorn with Doug. That is quite an honor. That that should be something that's only reserved for the best of the best, and I think Doug Dowdy certainly falls into that category. Now, you mentioned that game, UVA, Virginia Tech. It's it's rivalry week for the Commonwealth teams here. The game originally scheduled for early January, of course, postponed due to COVID tests at UVA. Now the two are going to hook up this weekend, but David, the Hokies aren't going to be full strength. They got some pretty bad news uh, yesterday. Tyrese Radford, who we've talked about on this pod, uh, indispensable in terms of his rebounding, uh, his offensive skill set. He's been suspended indefinitely. Uh, He's facing a DWI and a concealed weapons charge. Uh, Both are misdemeanors, but again, not great. And um, the indefinite suspension, it means different things at different times. And we've seen guys come back from indefinite suspensions quickly. This one certainly feels like it could be lengthy. David, that's a, a pretty devastating blow to Mike Young's team. It is, Mike. And it's important to note, as you did, that these are both misdemeanors because any Virginia Tech athlete charged with a felony is suspended until legal resolution. That That is university policy and, and has been for decades, but not the case with misdemeanors. So this is going to be a case where Mike Young, I'm sure in concert with athletic director Whit Babcock, are going to have to figure out when it is appropriate to, to reinstate Radford. Will, yeah. it be, will it be sometime this season? I, I don't know. I don't have a feel for it. I don't either. And, and I, I did, you know, it was interesting. I did a, a couple of radio shows after the news broke and um, they said, well, Mike Young sort of expressed that, you know, his hands were tied. His hands weren't tied by any kind of policy. No, His hands were tied because he's somebody who's pretty committed to doing things, I believe, the right way. And I, I think when, when Mike was conveying sort of um, that this was something that, that had to happen, um, to your point, it's not a felony charge. Nobody told him, hey, you have to do this. I think it's about the kind of program Mike Young uh, wants to run. And um, I think certainly it's the right you know, on the surface. We don't know the details here of what happened. But right. um, from what we know, it certainly appears uh, appropriate and reason to believe that this could be lengthy, if not season long. Now, we talked about you know, the things that Tyrese Radford can do. Um, you know, he just had a game where he went six for six at the free throw line in the 40, final 45 seconds to seal it. We've talked about his impact rebounding. So what does Virginia Tech do? Who plays his minutes? What's the impact on this team going to be? Mike Young, the first two names he mentioned yesterday were Darius Maddox and Joe Bamisil, both freshmen. Wow, it's it's hard to envision them being able to to fill that void, especially on on the rebounding side. And what was Radford averaging? Thirty one minutes a game. In, Team high. Yep. Yeah. Yes. He's he's the one guy that Mike Young wants on the court almost all the time. And to think that even combined that the two freshmen can pick up his rebounding slack and just toughness and on the court leadership. I mean, that's a big ask and it's going to have to be a collective and not just the two rookies. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and I wonder about the trickle down or the ripple effect here because Tyrese Radford with his diverse skill set, with the work he did on the glass despite his size, with his ability to get to the rim, with, with everything that he presents uh, offensively, I think that made it easier for Keve Aluma to get going the way he's gotten going. Mm-hmm. I think it's made it easier for Jalen Cohn, even though he struggled the last two games, to get those kind of looks that he needs to really get hot. I wonder, now that you take Radford out, it isn't just about his minutes and his points and his rebounds, which are important, obviously, but I, I wonder if there isn't a ripple effect here where Keve Aluma, it's a little bit easier to double the, the low block now and send somebody at him. Jalen Cohn, you can flash out a little harder on a shooter now that you don't have that dynamic of Radford, A, putting his head down and getting to the rim, and, and B, getting a second chance bucket. Um I worry then about how this impacts everybody else on the floor, not just to replace the production, but how they are defended. And not only that, Mike, will whoever is out on the floor in place of Tyrese Radford set the jarring type of screens Mm -hmm. that he does to free shooters like Jalen Cohn and Naheem Ali? Absolutely. Not afraid to put his body out there. Now, not surprisingly, uh, Mike Young, Virginia Tech's coach, he, he thinks that th- they'll find a way they'll be okay. Here's what Mike Young had to say. Ones that you're aware of, does uh, Darius Maddox get uh, an extra uh, run at it? Probably. Uh, Joe Bamisil. Um, we've got uh, enough uh, players in this building to uh, continue to win. Enough players to continue to win. So is he right? That brings us to this week's installment of Take It or Leave It. Thank you, Mike. A lot of good points there. Coach Young, of course, talking about the future of the team, but let's look at take it or leave it. Virginia Tech can still compete to be in the top third of the league, even if they don't get Radford back this season. Uh, take it or leave it. Let's start with David. I will I will take it in that they can compete for the top third of the league. So that means in contention for the top five. I don't think they'll get there, but I think they can be in that conversation. I think clearly Virginia and Florida State have separated themselves. Then you've got a whole cluster of teams of which Virginia Tech is a part. I think maybe Carolina is the hottest of of that group right now. But I, I think the Hokies can linger around that top five. But by regular season's end, I would still doubt that they would be there. Thanks, David. Mike? Yeah, I'm going to leave it. And for a lot of the same things David just talked about, you know, the disappointing thing here is what we loved about this Virginia Tech team was we saw what Mike Young can do last season, right? We saw his ability uh, to coach X's and O's, to make adjustments, to get ready for an opponent. But he just didn't have the bodies. He just didn't have the depth. He just didn't have the size up front. Uh, this year they had that. And and now if they don't get Radford back, which is the way we asked it, if they don't get Radford back, I think they're slipping back to being that kind of team they were at the end of last year. I think they're going to be thin. Uh, I think they're going to be worn down. I think they're going to struggle on the boards. Um, maybe Cardi Ajara, the, the Kansas State transfer, it's still open for him to opt back in, and um, that could certainly help. But um, I just think that they, without Radford, they take a step back towards uh, personnel-wise having some of the shortcomings they had a year ago. And yeah, you know, Mike Young can coach his tail off and keep him in the picture, but um, it, it just becomes really hard, if not impossible, to finish the job that way. Now, 
UVA, on the other hand, they're winners of seven in a row. Uh, they're alone atop the ACC standings. They're the league's only team that's unbeaten in conference play. And Monday night, <laughs> they absolutely put it on a Syracuse team that, that had been coming off a pair of blowout impressive wins. Uh, Sam Hauser, Jay Huff again, they led the way, uh, as they did Saturday when they finished against Georgia Tech. David, I thought that was uh, Virginia I thought that was a statement night for Virginia because they got back in the top 10 at number eight and they really showed why. They sure did. Both ends of the floor, Mike, shot it well from deep, from mid-range, rebounded, defended, led by double-digit margins for the final 19 minutes. I mean, there was no drama at JPJ last night. And, you know, to, to Virginia's credit now, hey, Syracuse had some good looks. I mean, I think Buddy Beheim was one of eight from three, and a whole bunch of them I thought were going in. But he was just misfiring, unlike overtime last season <laughs> in Charlottesville when he broke the Cavaliers' hearts and hit that one right in front of his dad there in, in front of the Syracuse bench. Uh, in in OT, but wow, it was it was really uh, an impressive outing, especially you know on the short turnaround after Saturday's uh, escape, really against Georgia Tech, sixty four sixty two, when the Yellow Jackets three pointer at the horn went begging. Yeah, you know, I, we don't usually do a ton of statistics on the pod. I think people kind of can get them other places. We like to bring out the fun facts. But I do want to share some of the numbers because I thought they were staggering. And, and one of the big ones was 23 assists on 29 made field goals for Virginia. Mm-hmm. That against a 2-3 zone against anybody, but against that Syracuse zone, I mean, that is the definition of good ball movement. Tony Bennett talked about, hey, you know, we'll pass on a good shot to get a great shot. Uh, They certainly did that in this one. And, you know, it led to 14 for 31 from three-point range. And uh, Sam Hauser hitting seven of those. Trey Murphy hit four of those. That really was an offensive clinic and maybe underappreciated because it didn't involve a lot of scoring. But Kihei Clark, I thought, ran the offense incredibly well, coming off a rough game, right? Coming off a game where he was shaky, where Coach Bennett said, yes, he plays on an edge, but he crossed the line a few times. Nine assists, two turnovers. Both turnovers were late. One of them was against when Syracuse went to the the press, uh, which certainly gave UVA fans some uh, painful flashbacks. <laughs> to, to, we won't go too far into that, but yeah, but I thought, you, you don't want to go there. I thought Kihei Clark uh, was fantastic running the offense, and interestingly, I thought a lot of times he did it from that high post where we've seen guys like DeAndre Hunter um, really have success and really orchestrate the offense. Kihei Clark. He's not built like DeAndre Hunter, but David, uh, despite that, I thought he was incredibly effective. Yeah, nine assists, two turnovers. How many lobs did he throw to Jay Huff for dunks? I mean, Huff had six dunks last night. I mean, at one point, Virginia had three straight dunks in the first half, and Bayheim was so irritated. He immediately called timeout and was just chewing, chewing his team out along the sideline, but no, they, they had great ball movement in the interior of the zone and also along the perimeter. And when you're, when you're burying threes like that, it stretches that zone out 
and really allows you to you know to penetrate. It's the, the formula, really, for defeating uh, the 2-3. And I, I want to talk, you know, I led my story with, with Sam Hauser and a fun fact that we found out after uh, he was... Not fun for him. Not fun for him. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I should say it. Entertaining, <laughs> interesting. Uh, Sam Hauser, during pregame warmups, his back started to spasm on him. Uh, and he wasn't sure, would he be able to play? Would he be able to play well? He said... I was just going to go out there and see how it felt. And it felt good enough to, to play. It felt good enough, basically to give it a shot. Who boy, did he give it a shot? Uh, um, we mentioned the seven, three pointers, 21 points. He's been absolutely on fire the, the last three games. Um, David, this is the Sam Hauser. Yes. That Virginia thought they were getting. Yes. The guy who made more than 40% of his threes at Marquette, and you heard raves about him practice last season when he sat out per NCAA transfer rules. Absolutely. And clearly, they do not beat Georgia Tech without Sam Hauser. Mm. That that one three he hit in the left corner mm. the other night was, I mean, it was contested and clutch. And that's why I thought, whoa, he's really feeling it now. That was a true heat check shot. And he just, he knocked it down. And then last night, I think he was like 0 for 2 or 0 for 3 inside the arc and, <laughs> and was making everything he looked at beyond. Yeah, he finished 7 for 16 overall, 7 for 13 from 3. So might as well cheat back to the line. You know, you're right. He shot 44.5% in three years at, at Marquette uh, before transferring. His last three games, Hauser is 15 for 23 from three-point range. That's that's the impact. That's what they thought, and that's what we thought uh, Sam Hauser was going to bring to this team. And with him playing this way, it really does make Virginia look like an ACC title contender, a national title contender. I mean, I don't think that's hyperbole when they play the way they played Monday night against Syracuse. No, because, you know, you score in the low 80s and you're UVA, you're you're unbeatable, essentially. I mean, you might lose once every five years if you, <laughs> if you score in the 80s because Virginia's just not going to – and it's not like Virginia, Mike, is, is scoring – 80 points, and now I think that's three ACC games out of seven in which the Cavaliers have broken 80. This is still the slowest-paced offense in the country, still playing like 58, 59 possessions a game. 80-plus points in that few possessions is outrageous offensive efficiency. Yeah, and you, you have to shoot well to do that, right? You have to, I mean, there's no way around it. When you play a low possession game, which Virginia wants to play, you've got to move the ball, you've got to take good shots, but you've got to hit them. Um, and certainly the last few times out, or certainly in the Syracuse game, they did that. You know, it's going to be interesting going forward because there's going to be nights where the three-point shots don't fall, right? That's mm -hmm. college basketball. Um but I do think, you know, Hauser certainly showed early in the year when he was uh, struggling some from three that he can score other ways. Jay Huff, who you mentioned, has just been outstanding th the last few games. And, and I think um, he has a game that uh, can withstand a, a slump because of some of the things he can do. So and, and I think Trey Murphy, uh, the third, is coming along. And we talked about him a little. I wrote about him uh, last week. But, you know, he, he's a kid that is long. He's athletic. He can jump. He can shoot. Uh, he's a guy who can be kind of that slump proof scorer uh, when he gets himself going to the rim a little bit more. So 
I really like what they've what they've got going right now at Virginia. You know who else who is that is really growing on me is Reese Beekman. Mm-hmm. And Tony Bennett mentioned him post game when someone asked him about Virginia's defensive progress. And he went into on the ball defense and said that Beekman has really been a linchpin there. And I like him on both ends. I, I was almost surprised because I, I, I looked. I, I looked at the roster last night just to double check on what they list him as. They list him as 6'3. He looks taller to me out there on the floor. He's long and he's active defensively. And he's got 22 steals, Mike. Nobody else on the team has more than seven. I mean, he he's by far and away the the, the team leader in steals. And he, he had a couple moves last night where he went to the basket aggressively and confidently and he's he's not bashful about shooting it from long range either he's got a future now yeah you know it's interesting that Beekman and his defense we we had the chance to talk to some of the other ACC coaches including guys who have faced both Virginia Tech and UVA um, and kind of asked them to compare the two defenses and and one of the things they said that stands out as as a little bit different is that Virginia Tech uh, is a little bit more aggressive. They extend out a little bit more. Uh, they pressure the ball a little bit more. They've got that long. That's Reese Beekman. That's what you just described. And and um, I think he brings that element. I think Trey Murphy brings that element uh, to Virginia. I, I know earlier in the year, someone had remarked that this might be the best Virginia team for one-on-one individual um on-ball defense in particular. Um, and I think that's interesting. So as we look at this matchup, Tech and UVA, and, and it's something we've seen certainly since Mike Young got to Tech. Uh, not the same scheme, but in, in many ways, the Hokies aim to do what Virginia does defensively, to clog the lane, uh, to make it hard for you to get near the rim, to force you to kind of shoot from outside. Um, now, Mike Bray from Notre Dame, he's faced both of them. He's one of those coaches. He said the Hokies play that with kind of a combination of what Florida State does, athletic, aggressive, pressuring, he said that, you know, Virginia is a team that's going to let you pass the ball, let you move the ball around, but they're not going to let you near the rim. They're not going to give up that penetration. The Hokies do that, but they also extend out. They disrupt those passes and um, make it a little bit maybe more dynamic. Uh, Wake Forest, Steve Forbes, he, he played both teams. This is the way Steve Forbes broke down the matchup. Yeah, they're both really tough, hard-nosed teams, hard to score on, you know, um, Maybe um, Virginia Tech's maybe a little more aggressive, uh, defending ball reversal, maybe uh, maybe a little bit more physical in the gap. But, you know, Virginia has Cole Huff at the rim, who's a, uh, you know, rim protector. Now, we're not the best team to probably talk to because Virginia Tech blocked nine of our shots in the first half, which has to be a world record. Um, they're, they're, they're very – that'll be a hell of a game. So, David, as you look at – these teams and certainly Virginia deserves all the credit for for how great they are defensively. Do we need to pay a little more attention to what Mike Young is building defensively in Blacksburg? I think we do, Mike. But what were the what were the things that Steve Forbes just mentioned? Aggression and toughness. What do the Hokies lose without Tyrese Radford? Mm-hmm. Aggression and toughness. I mean, that's that's what if I, if I'm a Hokies fan. That keeps me up. And oh, by the way, you know, we, we talked about it being rivalry week. Look at Virginia Tech's upcoming schedule. 
you know, Notre Dame tomorrow night on the road, but then Virginia, Pitt, talk about tough and physical. Then they go to Coral Gables, then Florida State, then Louisville, then North Carolina, then Florida State again. Yikes. Yeah, not that there's a good time <laughs> to not have Tyrese Radford, but this stretch of the season, and again, we talk about when guys are starting to wear down and you need that emotional lift that a player like Radford can give you out there. Um, yeah, those two Florida State meetings, uh, was that February 9th and February 20th? That that looms pretty large. Um, and again, we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen with Radford, but th- to think about the matchup with and without him, um, without him, it's it's a big difference. Now, in this one, David, um, what are what are some of the keys uh, if Virginia Tech is going to find a way to, to upset Virginia? Keve Aluma must, all caps, stay out of foul trouble mm-hmm. because if, if he's pinned to the bench, I mean, how do they defend Jay Huff? I mean, good, you know, good luck and Godspeed. And, you know, maybe David Gasson could, could give it a shot. But I, I don't know. I don't, I'm, wouldn't be real excited about that matchup if I'm Mike Young. And Jalen Cohn needs to find the basket again. That's, yeah, Jay- that, that, that to me is paramount. Yeah, that, that's in a sense the, uh, if you want to say wild card, um, if Jalen Cohn is on fire from three, as we've seen him so many nights, uh, I think this can be a competitive game. I, I think mm-hmm. he, that impact alone will change the way uh, UVA has to defend. They'll have to be more aggressive coming out on him, um, and that will help a guy like Keve Aluma. Conversely, if he's off and they feel like, hey, they can give him a little more breathing room and pack that pack line in even tighter – makes it really, really hard. And um, it's interesting. You know, certainly the way Virginia played their last time out versus the way Virginia Tech played their last time out, and and obviously they've got one more game in between. They uh, play at Notre Dame. Um, This looks very lopsided. A few weeks ago, I don't think we would have said that. Uh, Then you add in the Radford news, and I'm not ducking here, Dave. I think this is a really hard game to predict just how it's going to play out. Never mind who's going to win. I think with all of this change, moving pieces, guys who are hot or guys who are cold, I think this is a really tough matchup to kind of pin down. I agree, and especially since we haven't seen tomorrow night's game yet mm-hmm. between Virginia Tech and Notre Dame. I, I think tomorrow night will give us myriad clues as to how Saturday might unfold. Yeah, a big game from Cone, a big game from Aluma, uh, a continued development for Gasson, and some good minutes for those freshmen. We're going to feel a lot better <laughs> about Virginia Tech going into the UVA matchup. Uh, we don't know. We don't know what we're going to end up seeing, but that is the topic of this week's Who You Got. Thank you, Mike. And you know I'm going to ask the question. Virginia at Virginia Tech, you've got two ranked rivals. I'm going to ask it. Who you got? Let's start with Mike. Yeah, I'm going to take the obvious answer and, and say I think Virginia, the role they're on, it's legitimate. I, I don't think this is a team that's just getting hot in, in a fluky kind of way. I think this is a team that is playing up to its potential. Um, you know, the win streak they're on is a product of the way they're moving the ball, the way they're shooting the ball, the way Sam Hauser is playing and expanding his offensive game, the consistency of Jay Huff, not just as an offensive player, but as a shot blocker. Uh, the fact that I think Kihei Clark is going to be up for this game and play well. Uh, 
you know, I think Virginia Tech is still a good team, and I think it's going to be competitive. And I think Virginia Tech has a chance, uh, certainly, to make things very interesting. But assuming that I see anything like what I saw from Virginia Monday night against Syracuse, it's just hard to pick against the Cavaliers right now. Thank you, Mike. David? Have to agree. I mean, it's and it's recency bias, right? Mm-hmm. The, the last time we saw Virginia Tech, Syracuse was working the Hokies over mm-hmm. at the Carrier Dome Saturday afternoon. Fast forward 48 hours, Syracuse is at JPJ, and it's just the opposite, and Virginia is just having its way. So you, you just – Unless, unless you just want to go counter to everything you've just seen within the past couple of days, it's really impossible to pick against the Cavaliers. Yeah, I mean, we can factor in the home court advantage, but certainly that's reduced this year, right? Without, yeah. Although I thought it was really interesting, <laughs> and I'm reaching out to try to, to do a little story here, but uh, Jay Huff's brother-in-law is a uh, enrolled at Virginia Tech. He's a tech student. He uh, is planning to be at the game Saturday where he will be cheering for Virginia Tech against his uh, brother-in-law. So I think that's a really uh, fun little angle, and, and hopefully we can explore that a little deeper this week. But again, you know, the home court advantage isn't what it normally is because of the pandemic. Um, and you just mentioned the two matchups with Syracuse, and you know, you do the math and you think, man, this this could be ugly. I don't think we're going to see ugly. I don't think we're going to see um, UVA put it on the Hokies by 30 points. Um, but certainly, again, if you're if you're going off the numbers of what we've seen lately, um, that is the pick that kind of makes sense. It is. And it's interesting, Mike, that you mentioned home court advantage because, yeah, you wouldn't think that it much matters. Home teams are winning 69% of conference games thus far hmm. this season. Last year, it was only 60%. So there's something to home court advantage that goes beyond butts in the seats and how loud the arena is. And, and you know, coaches always talk about that, right, David? They, they always, it's about the travel. It's about sleeping in your own bed. And maybe, maybe I've poo-pooed that for too long because that number seems to indicate that, hey, playing on the road is tough even when the arena's empty. Well, and Florida State's still got a 21-game home winning streak in conference play. <laughs> so for, for, for wh- whatever reason, uh, the, the, the Tucker Center down in Tallahassee is still golden for the Seminoles. Yeah, they're, they're a pretty good basketball team, yeah, too. No. Which I, think, I think that factors in. Now, talking about crowds, talking about basketball, talking about things we don't know how it's going to pan out. And you wrote a really interesting column, I thought, on – the future of this year's ACC basketball tournament, you asked a lot of the coaches around the league um, a pretty pointed but intelligent question with what the NCAA requires uh, for seven straight uh, negative tests to be able to go to Indianapolis and play in that bubble. Does it make sense for the ACC to hold a traditional conference tournament? And coaches were a little bit divided. David, what, what was your takeaway from their responses? Well, I think most of them, Mike, want to see some kind of tournament because most of them are not NCAA tournament locks and they probably think I'm going to need to enhance my NCAA credentials at the ACC tournament. So selfishly, they're thinking, okay, yeah, let's let's go play. 
But as, as Jeff Capel, he framed it perfectly. He said, if, if you are a lock and, and Chris Mack from Louisville did, did the exact answer in the exact same way. If you are an NCAA tournament lock, if you know you are in the field of 68, and if your medical professionals tell you you are safer on your campus than you would be traveling to Greensboro and playing in a conference tournament, does it make sense to take that risk? I think it's a very reasonable question. And Chris Mack flat out said, I believe you will see some teams opt out of conference tournaments. Now, I'm curious about that. And here's why. And, and I'm going to ask you to, to put on your Karnak the Magnificent <laughs> headgear here and, and, and go Johnny Carson and predict uh, the future. But how would that work? Because let's say the top five or six teams in the ACC, they know they're in the NCA field, they say, why would I take that chance and, and run the risk of exposing? I'm going to lock my kids down and make sure we're in Indianapolis. Does the te- Do the teams that then go to Greensboro for the ACC tournament, are they competing for an automatic bid or, or does that have to change if, if your top teams aren't there? If, if your top five or, or six teams opt out, I think you have a, you have a serious problem and you have to have a a, a very frank discussion about awarding the automatic bid to the regular season champion. I, I think you absolutely have to. Now, if it's one or two, then it becomes a little more nuanced. And, you know, I, I've thought about how would the NCAA selection committee view this, but it's the NCAA that created this. <laughs> Right, yeah. it's ins- and I'm not saying it's wrong to insist on seven consecutive negative COVID tests. But if, it's the calendar. Yeah, if, if if that's how you want to play this, fine. But yes, you're right. The ACC tournament ends on Sunday, March, or excuse me, on Saturday, March 13th. Selection Sunday is the following day. The NCAA tournament starts the following Thursday. That's the first four. You could, you know. Might an ACC team be in the first four? Absolutely. It's happened before. Then the first round starts Friday. I mean, you have to be buttoned up from a COVID standpoint well before you start play in in, in Indianapolis. And man, it's going to be fascinating for the next few weeks to see all this evolve. Yeah, it's interesting because it feels like they did the math, right? They were like, okay, this is when the tournaments are going to end, conference tournaments, and then how much time is there? We won't want anyone testing positive in that window, which makes sense. But I just wonder, to your point, how many teams are going to be taken out? And what is the what is the ruling? If you have tests and you can't go to Indianapolis, are you eliminated? Does somebody take your spot? Um the thing we, that I'm curious about, we, we've posed that question, by the way. Yeah, to, and no one to, knows to the NCAA, and the answer is it's under discussion. Well, yeah, you better wrap up that discussion <laughs> pretty quickly. Well, and it, it tells you the the age we're living in because again, you asked so many of these coaches about this topic, and coaches talked about, hey, I, you know, we've talked about it as a staff. One guy said, I talked to my wife about it, mm-hmm. right, but. I don't remember a single one when you asked 
specifically if they had spoken to their athletic director. I don't remember a single one saying yes. And that tells you kind of where they are. It's on everybody's mind. It's a huge question. There's no easy answer. And, oh, here's a red flag. They don't seem to be working towards a solution. And I know there's a lot going on, and I know there's a lot of moving pieces. And, you know, maybe there's stuff behind the scenes. But that, to me, grabbed my attention as much as anything, that it doesn't seem like there's a plan in, in place. The, 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 the one coach-AD tandem that has talked about this – and it doesn't surprise me, is Jack Swarbrick and Mike Bray mm. at, at Notre Dame. Because uh, I had asked Mike about this last week on a separate Zoom that wasn't the ACC uh, weekly call. And he told me that he and Swarbrick, you know, they have proposed a format in Greensboro for the conference tournament whereby essentially creating a loser's bracket almost like the baseball tournament where everyone is guaranteed multiple games, <laughs> which would enhance some teams NCAA tournament chances could doom some teams NCAA tournament chances. If you take multiple L's, but their thinking is as of right now, there have been 18 conference games postponed yet to be rescheduled. Clearly, Few, if any, teams are going to play a complete 20-game ACC schedule. So their thought is, if we're go- if you're asking us to come to Greensboro, give us multiple games so we can make up some of the- some of those we lost. That makes sense too. I- I'm very curious how it all turns out. It 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 does feel to me like an unnecessary risk if your goal is to have a successful NCAA tournament. Now, it feels a little more necessary if you're an individual school whose goal is to be part of (laughs) that NCAA tournament. Uh, I understand all those bubble teams, this is their chance and this is their shot. So uh, certainly something we'll be keeping our eye on. And if you haven't already, read David's column. It's up on richmond.com. Deep, deep into the basketball talk, but I want to get some football before we get out of here. And and I'm going to start with Daryl Tapp. Man, uh, leaving the Virginia Tech program for uh, an NFL job, certainly a great opportunity, and and you understand that. But um, Daryl Tapp, we hardly knew you, although obviously we've known Daryl Tapp for years, uh, never really got the chance to meet with media, um, but he made a big impact in terms of recruiting and the image, right? He was a big part of this Virginia Tech image that they were trying to put out there. David, how big a blow is, is Daryl Tapp's departure? I, th- I think it is a blow, Mike. And it's it's not like he, he, he came to, to Virginia Tech with this great body of work as a college assistant coach. But his impact, you know, he's a Hokie. And he's from the state. He's, he's from Chesapeake. And the 757 is such a big recruiting area. And how many times did Justin Fuente mention to us during the season, and maybe even in preseason, what a great combination he saw in tier link and tap and just how well they work together, not only in teaching on the field, but in recruiting and tap was very active on social mm-hmm. and especially during a pandemic social is such a big component of of the recruiting so yeah i i think it is a hit and you know for 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 people who are unaware he's off to the san francisco 49ers 
Yeah, a great opportunity, and, and Daryl's great. You know, we've all had the chance to to get to know him, and um, certainly don't begrudge him that opportunity. But for exactly the the point you bring up, that social media presence he had, it, it almost felt like so much branding had gone into Daryl taps back at tech, and and this is this fun young uh, kind of vibe for recruits, and. Um, I think in, in that regard, the success and everything they were doing with him, that doubles the impact now when um, so quickly uh, he's gone. And, you know, it's interesting that some of the names that are out there and, and certainly, you know, two, two all-time defensive line mm-hmm. greats in J.C. Price and Cornell Brown, they're available now after Marshall uh, made a coaching change, got rid of that staff. Uh, you know, Coach Price seems like he might be more on the – coordinator level but uh it certainly might pique his interest to return to his alma mater cornell brown has coached here before marshall um you know what what are the feelings there between him and and coach fuente since he wasn't retained but um certainly those are two guys that if you're talking about it being important to bring in a hokey uh, there's two hokies there who coach that position at a pretty high level well they've already elevated another hokey you know, mm-hmm. to, 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 to the linebacker spot with, with Jack Tyler. So they, they, they certainly have been trending that way in terms of keeping things in the family. Now, David, later this week, uh, Thursday, I believe, we're going to finally get the, the schedule for the upcoming football season, the schedule as it will be currently constituted and believe it will be. Obviously, everything gets an asterisk and a TBD and all that. Uh, what are you looking for when, when we find out uh, – you know, who's playing when and, and, and how that all stacks up. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we know everyone's opponents. You know, we know that Virginia's non-conference games are William & Mary, BYU, Illinois, and Notre Dame, and that their rotating opponent is Wake Forest. And we know for Virginia Tech, it's Notre Dame, Richmond, Middle Tennessee, West Virginia, Syracuse is the rotating uh, Atlantic Division opponent this season. But the, the sequencing will be interesting, especially f- for Virginia Tech, which will open the season against an ACC opponent. I believe it will be at home against North Carolina, which figures to be the Coastal Division favorite. And you talk about a cool opener now. You know, Sam Howell coming back to Blacksburg, where the teams played that mega overtime epic in in his freshman season that that would be really cool and then another thing about uva schedule by the rotation virginia would go to miami but that would be the third straight year for uva to go to miami because in the amended pandemic schedule of 2020 the cavaliers off rotation had to go to Miami for a second consecutive year. So will the league make the Cavaliers go to South Beach for three straight years and then somehow change some other rotations within the division? I don't know. Now, I'll tell you, if they reach out to this sports writer, you can never <laughs> you can never have too many games. I think Virginia and Virginia Tech should never play Miami at home. I think they should go to South Florida every time. I think maybe they should play multiple times a year. Uh, I think they should move spring ball there. I am a fan of, of South Beach and the Miami trip. So uh, And throw me a couple trips to Boston because uh, my parents are retired just outside there in Cape Cod. But uh, that's not the way the ACC puts together its schedule. I can't believe they don't consult you mike barber what the heck is wrong with that there is zero consideration given to ceviche 
uh, food options when they yeah. put the schedule together. And that is certainly disappointing. <laughs> Fair. Beyond. But so, beyond. But something to look forward to this week. Well, thanks for listening. You can subscribe to Teal and Barber on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your favorite shows. And please consider supporting local journalism with an online subscription to the TD. You can find special promotional offers available at richmond.com. That's also where you'll find all of my coverage, David's coverage of tech, UVA, the ACC, uh, plus everything else that the Richmond Times-Dispatch tackles in our sports section. Today's show was produced by Dean Hoffmeyer. Teal and Barber is a podcast of the Richmond Times-Dispatch and Richmond.com. For David Teal, I'm Mike Barber. Thanks for listening. Be healthy and safe. And please join David and me again next week. <laughs>